Welcome to the Wired for Success podcast, your show for ambitious, mission-driven entrepreneurs who understand that there's more to entrepreneurship than finding the latest flash-in-the-pan strategies, who understand that in order to build your empire, you need a solid foundation. I wholeheartedly believe that entrepreneurship is the biggest self-development journey you can be on, and it's my mission to help you make that journey easier. In this show, I bring together the very best from science, self-development and entrepreneurship to set you up for sustainable success. Hi, I'm Claudia Gabbett, the scientist and mindset coach behind this show, and you're listening to the Wired for Success podcast. and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Wired for Success podcast, where we talk about all things science, self-development and entrepreneurship that help you get to that next level of success in your life and business. And today I'm bringing you a brand new and inspiring interview episode. My guest today is best-selling and award-winning author, researcher and advisor, Nate Novosel. Nate has been analyzing the drivers of humans' sense of meaning for over 30 years and his book, Dissecting the Eight Core Factors, has won over 11 Book of the Year awards and accolades. Additionally, Nate has been advising the world's leading executives for over 17 years and was recognized as Advisor of the Year in 2019. Nate's mission is to help any and all people who are looking for more meaning in their lives to have unbiased support in figuring it out for themselves. So I'm looking forward to talking about the meaning of life today. Welcome, Nate, and thank you so much for taking the time to be on my show. Thank you for having me. I'd like to get started by talking a little bit about your background, just so that our listeners understand where you're coming from. Now, tell us a little bit about your childhood, just very briefly, um, the community you grew up in, and maybe some of your educational background, a little bit about that. Sure. Well, it all started when I was five, and my uh, father disappeared in the middle of the night, um, and I didn't hear from him for, for six months. Um, so I live in Pittsburgh. He moved to California. Uh, and uh, we went out there the following year. And I don't remember how I felt when I was five, but whenever I started forming memories, I can remember when I was six and we went out there for three weeks and two days. And uh, I felt empty and worthless when I got back. The night I got back and I couldn't go to sleep and I was just sitting there uh, miserable, feeling like someone just ripped my heart out of my chest. And so I was looking up and I asked myself, you know, what is the point of all this if we're going to suffer like this? And uh, there's a dispassionate part of my brain. And it was like, that's interesting. Uh, what is the meaning of life? I wonder if you can answer that question. So I became fascinated with it. And I studied uh, psychology, philosophy, religions, and so forth for the next 20 odd years, uh, trying to understand that uh, question. Um, also to understand human behavior and why people do things and how things work. Um, and uh, when I was around 29-ish, uh, uh, I was going to another company. I, I advise leaders uh, for a living. I've been doing it for, as you said in, in the intro, um, over 17 years, almost 18 now. And um, I know a lot about human behavior and how to lead organizations and so forth. It's my job. Uh, but I was wondering how I would impart that information on someone else after studying for 20 years. What, I would, what, what would I be actually able to teach someone? And that's when all these ideas started popping in my head of these core concepts you had to understand. And at first I thought it was like, well, what is it to be successful in life and things like that? But then I called back to my original question back when I was uh, six. And I said, well, you know, these are actually the core components to finding meaning in your life. So it's a little bit about uh, the background and how I came to the book. Then I spent seven years writing it and then I just published it last year. Well, congratulations. And so tell me a little bit more about that community that you grew up in and what it was like. It sounds like you had a little bit of a difficult family situation there. What was it like? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it was poor by U.S. standards. Um, I, obviously not by global standards. I had things like toilets and things, but uh, um, I was raised by a single mother, uh, two kids. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't have Christmas gifts sometimes because couldn't afford them. So, um, you know, there's that. And then I also just found out a couple of years ago that I actually do have a mild uh, uh, form of autism spectrum disorder. Uh, I didn't know. Uh, no one knew uh, because I was just quiet and, um, you know, uh, shy, you know, uh, those, those kinds of symptoms. Um, 
and uh, it is very mild, so it's it's really hard to tell. But um, I, I, I my obsession with human behavior was because I was trying to learn how to fit in because I, I I realized I was different from everybody else. Um, so where I grew up, I mean, basically I, I interact with other people through sports, basically, because I could catch a football like that was pretty much. Uh, <laughs> so like that's how I had friends. <laughs> um, but uh, but otherwise, yeah, I didn't really talk to people or do much of anything with anyone. Um, and so I guess that was for my fascination with human behavior. But yeah, I grew up in a suburb of Pittsburgh and I was relatively poor single mother kind of situation on on uh, food stamps for a little bit um, uh, before my mom got a job that could, uh, you know, could 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 um, uh, uh, support us after my, my dad left. Um, and then, yeah, I graduated, went to Penn State University. Um, I paid my own way through college. Uh, then I got a job. Um, uh, uh, outside of college advising executives and I've been there ever since. Wow. Uh, do you feel that this mild autism was the reason that because you didn't fit you didn't feel like you fit in you had to study the behavior so that you can could fit in like what do I have to do to interact with people how do I understand them is that because that's sometimes what they say when they talk about autism and I don't mm -hmm. know what it feels like but um, maybe you can tell us. So they say that people with autism tend to see other people more like objects than like subjects. So they try to understand the qualities. They try to understand, well, yeah, the qualities of that object rather than seeing other people as people, if that makes sense. Is that yeah. your experience? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, the two things that I, I think are traits that I exhibit pretty well that are, are pretty common. Um, there's a TED talk on this, by the way. Um, I forget the lady's name, but she she talks about this um, in, in depth uh, about how uh, people with autism are kind of like, uh, at least on the mild side, um, are obsessed with how things work because they do th see things yeah. in terms of systems and mechanisms and things like that. And so uh, my obsession with how things work, I, I would assume that it has to be attributed to uh, to that. Um, but um, uh, and that's why I broke down the meaning of life into scientific by uh, evolutionary psychology components that you could actually define and understand. Um, but uh, but yeah, when you talk about uh, how things work, yeah, I did have some weird. Well, at the time, they were weird beliefs. I'd be like, well, a friend is just two people who use each other to better ends for both of them. Like like that's how I was describing friendship. I mean, that's just like seems like a weird thing to do. Also, a little cynical, but I didn't mean it in such a cynical way I was just trying to break it down to understand it like how do you have a friend because it's like well okay so you do you know you you have common interests and then you do nice things for them they do things for you in return but like it's not you're not expected to reciprocate but you do and I'm just like trying to figure this out and it's like I have no idea what's going on here <laughs> like I just don't get it <laughs> um so uh yeah that's that's what caused a lot of the uh uh the the fascination in the research yeah Super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, when you think back, can you remember some sort of key principles or values that you grew up with? Was, mm -hmm. was there, maybe when you think back, what was seen as good and valuable versus what was bad and despicable? And when you think about those things, did you agree with those judgments and principles or did you rebel against them? Yeah, that's an interesting question because, um, you know, I, obviously there's a lot surrounding my father, of course, because he left, right? <laughs> so um, now you might think, well, you think he's a despicable person, right? Well, you know, it, the thing is, he has kind of like a little bit of narcissistic kind of uh, attributes in the sense that he only, he, he, the world revolves around him and only cares about himself kind of thing. Uh, but like, I, I kind of realize in terms of ethics, a lot of people judge that. But I look at that and go, well, there's nothing inherently wrong with being selfish, especially because um, as long as you're not uh, hurting anyone, and more importantly, as long as you're not a burden to anyone, then selfishness is actually uh, a good thing, right? Because if you don't take care of yourself, if you're like unselfish, but then you're a burden on someone else, then you actually are uh, hurting someone else by, by, by putting this burden on them. So uh, now I don't recommend having two kids if you're going to be selfish <laughs> for obvious reasons, but... I don't think there's inherent, as long as you're not taking selfish at someone else's expense, I don't personally see that as the issue. The issue was about, you know, having responsibility and then abandoning it. So that's, that's the thing that I see there. So it's very unique uh, perspective, but other than that, it's just like, okay, he's over here, there, we're over here. And, you know, I go to school here and that's that. So it's very kind of cold and, 
and scientific about the whole thing. Uh, but in terms of, uh, it's a very interesting question for me because um, because my um, raised by a single mother, I have very much had what I jokingly call perfect child syndrome. Yeah. Uh, and I jokingly refer to, to it as that is because I tried to do anything humanly possible uh, not to be a problem for anybody because I didn't want to upset my mother because she had a job and she was stressed. She hated her job for a long time as some people she worked with and so forth. Uh, and uh, so I was like, okay, don't do anything wrong. <laughs> don't, don't, upset, don't upset your mother. So I got, got good grades. Uh, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, <laughs> like, you know, did not, didn't even like speak up or, or speak up in, in restaurants. Like I was just like, not like <laughs> just sit there quietly and behave. And so, um, but I did things to the extreme. Like I, I never, never done drugs. I've never smoked a cigarette. I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, um, uh, you know, I didn't talk back. I didn't really do anything uh, wrong. I didn't even call it like stuff like, Oh, don't climb ladders because you could fall off and hurt yourself. It's the number one cause of thing. Okay, I won't climb a ladder. Like I just literally did everything that was told of me, uh, and it turned out decades later that I started realizing that, like, yeah, they they told you all that stuff to keep you safe, no doubt, but they also told you so so that you weren't a problem for them, so they didn't make a mistake, and then they didn't have to they didn't have to fix fix your mistakes. So I started to learn more and more after starting in college and then moving on from there in my professional life that like. Maybe I should live the life that I want to live and not follow these rules that people said, which were really just ways to, you know, keep you safe, but also keep you in line. And that may be my life. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to accept a certain amount of risk or accept this or accept that. So it's an interesting thing about following rules, which ones are necessary and which ones are uh, are just there to for, for convenience and to, to actually dissect that and understand it, because that took me years and years to deprogram myself from like following every rule, even to the point of, of ridiculousness. Yeah, I totally resonate with that because it was the same for me. It was, I kind of had the same role as a child to be this perfect overachiever who doesn't cause any trouble. So it was the same for me. You just followed that path and the path, path got very, very narrow because you weren't allowed to step off the path and there were so many so many things outside it was very very a very narrow path and at some point you just or i just ended up doing something that didn't that i didn't enjoy i felt burned out i felt uninspired i felt so tired and still i tried to keep on that path because in my mind i couldn't step off that path so the choices are very limited when you're when you see yourself in that role of that perfect overachiever <laughs> uh, role that that you just adopt because you don't want to cause any trouble. Now, did you have any kind of like a childhood hero or a role model that you looked up to? And if so, what did you most admire about that person? Um, yeah, I mean. It, it depends if you mean like kind of famous people kind of role models or, or people in your own life. Um, in my own life, uh, so I, I have a stepbrother um, and uh, he uh, he was living the kind of life I thought was pretty, pretty great. Um, I just thought it was, was cool that um, I don't know how to explain it, but. Uh, you know, he was getting his, uh, he was getting his degree. He was married. He had kids. He um, had a good job and just kind of, and then living the life he wanted to live outside of, uh, of work and those other responsibilities. Uh, and I just thought that was really cool because um, I just couldn't understand that whole like doing what you want thing. Because I think one of the interesting drivers of my book is that um, is that I need to have a purpose to do anything. Uh, I jokingly call it an al I need an algorithm for, for everything. So even if I wake up in the morning, I'm sitting in bed, I don't get out of it until I clearly know what I'm going to do <laughs> when I leave. Like I have to tell myself, okay, you're going to go to the, usually it's the, you know, bathroom calling to get out, <laughs> but it's like, okay, bathroom call, I go do that. Okay. Now you're going to go eat, do that. Okay. Now you're going to go do this. Like I have to like go through my, my every, moment of my life is telling myself, okay, now you have this purpose. Now you have this purpose. Now you have this purpose. Uh, and so it's kind of figuring out uh, what that is. And so people who had these, like these callings and purposes. So anyone, so for famous people, it's like the people who are living out that, like what they want to do, like a Jerry Seinfeld, you know, in comedy, kind of those kinds of things. So you're seeing people who really are driven to success, but they really know what they want and they're going after and they're successful and they do things the right way. Those were always the people that I thought were 
who are great and I looked up to. Uh, but I think part of me wanted to know, well, how do, how do you find that? <laughs> like, how do you figure out what that thing is? Because I don't understand. Because I barely, you know, I barely need to, I can barely get out of bed unless I tell myself I have a purpose. Uh, whether or not I care about it is just give myself a, a, a compelling reason to, to do something. Um, and so I, I found it very interesting. So you mentioned my childhood. Uh, it was very interesting. I, I, I knew uh, three things. So there are positives about following the rules, right? I knew I was graduating from high school. I knew I was graduating from college, I knew I was getting a job. So not everyone has that. And I really appreciate that. And I want to I want to recognize that because a lot of people are told that they're stupid and things like that. And I was always told I was smart and I could do anything. And that they kind of set that path for me that this is the way to succeed. And I did do it and I did succeed. So I'm very appreciative uh, of that. However, my major was in finance. And the reason why I went into that major is because a I was poor and wanted money. Yeah. And B, because you had to be smart to go into that field, it was the highest uh, GPA threshold uh, major. Now, that's those aren't necessarily good reasons to go into a field, uh, specifically the latter one of just showing how smart you are, which is what I was trying to do. <laughs> hey, look, you got to be smart. So, of course, I want to do it. Um, but uh, I ended up going to psychology my last semester, and I thought that was like amazing. So I went from falling asleep in all my finance classes to being being like front of the class, raising my hand every five seconds uh, in my psychology classes. And I actually knew all the answers already because I'd already studied for decades <laughs> already. So I already knew all the answers. Uh, I'll never forget. They're like, oh, when do you typically that like falling in love? When does that fall away? And I was like, maybe, maybe like 18 to 24 months. Like I knew that I read that like I and I didn't even have to take this class. Um, but but yeah, so like I was I was like super uh, into all that stuff. Uh, but once I graduated, that's when things got weird because I tried to get a job and I was trying to figure out, well, what do I want to do with my life? And I had no clue. And I was so blessed to actually have the perfect job come to me, like literally called out of the blue. Uh, uh, corporate executive board was the name of the company. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a research advisory firm that eventually became what I do now. But uh, they interviewed me and said, oh yeah, Brooke referred you. I was like, oh yeah, Brooke, great. No idea who Brooke is. No idea. I never found out. I even looked whenever I got to the company to see if I could, because because you got a $500 referral bonus. So I was like, hey, you know, hey, take me out to lunch for, you know, <laughs> for, for getting you 500 bucks. We didn't even know me, um, but I could never find out who that is. So it just kind of fell on me. And then years later, I kept uh, delaying my like real career path. I was going to go get an MBA or something. And then what I found out was that, well, what do I like to do? I still didn't know. And it was only when I uh, asked myself, well, what do I like about what I do? What do I like to do? And I was like, well, my personal life, I, I just go and study psychology and stuff. So I was like, I like to learn and then I like to teach it. So wait a second, I do research and advisory. That's learning and teaching. Oh my God, I do the thing that I actually like to do. <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy how that stuff happens, but I'm, I'm with you on like trying to figure that stuff out. It's really, really interesting stuff. Awesome. Now, how do you define personal success right now? I mean, your, our definitions of success usually change throughout our lives. Now, yep. what does success and living a meaningful life look, to you, uh, look like for you right now? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. And it's, it's the one that really calls back to everything we just discussed, because the question is, now that I've broken free from my uh, self-imposed prison of living the way that everyone else wanted me to live so that I, that no one would bother me <laughs> and I wouldn't upset anybody. Um, now I'm like, okay, now what do I want to do? And it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, so the perfect life for me uh, up through my uh, early thirties, I guess, was like the, uh, the quote unquote American dream. Right. So there's like the, the house, the, the job, the, you know, the, uh, a nice car, of uh, uh, um, uh, you know, spouse, uh, that kind of stuff. Never really interested in kids personally. And I don't have them and I don't plan on it unless uh, something, uh, unexpected happens. Uh, but, uh, the, um, but I had all that other stuff, everything else. I had the money, which I'd never had before. And now I can actually spend it. I, I, I was, it took me years to actually get up the nerve to even spend the money I earned. Uh, cause I was like, well, what if it goes away? <laughs> so I saved it all. And, and now I'm like, well, now I'm going out every day to restaurants and things like always, what I always wanted to do. And it turns out it's wonderful, but then it also like anything else, quote unquote, gets old. I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way, just you get used to it. And so I was like, okay, so all this stuff that I wanted to do, I'm like, okay, now I'm able to do all that stuff I do. And it's like, oh, okay, it's not all, it's, it looks great, but it's it kind of like the whole, like, we we're talking about like how, how, how you have friends and things like that. It's kind of like the combination. It's, it's not just the going out and getting the food, it's the friends and the time and the laughs and all that other stuff that combine to why people like that stuff. 
And I was like, okay, I, okay, I, I guess that's what's going on. So me just going out to a restaurant, not just by myself and having a burger or whatever. It's like, okay, after a while, it's just, okay, I'm going to, to eat. Um, but uh, so what I was trying to figure out is, well, what, what do I want to do? Well, like I said, I love teaching and I love learning. Uh, and I, uh, uh, I think I could actually help people. I, I, could, I could dissect things and actually truly understand how they work. And so when I wrote the book um, and published that, and we just came out with a, uh, I came out with another book called The X Factor, The Spiritual uh, Secrets Behind uh, Executives and uh, Entrepreneurs. And um, that book uh, is a multi-author book, just hit the bestseller list. And um, what was really um, interesting about that is I, I dissected how I learned to care about my job and how I learned to, to, to move more in the direction to what I love. Because I wasn't in my perfect job. I was in a role in the organization and I moved up. I had to move up the career path and I had to pick between two choices and I had to figure that out. So I write about that in the book about how to learn to love what you're doing while you're moving to something you love even more. Uh, and I think that that's pretty cool. So that, I think that's what I want to do with my life is actually just shift from, I advise executives for a long time and I still want to do that. Uh, but I write books in my spare time and, and try to dissect these things. I have a blog on the meaning of life. And uh, I, if I did that for the rest of my life, I'd, I'd be pretty happy. And then what I do in my personal time, uh, just want to live in a nice place uh, where I can go outside most of the year and, uh, um, you know, and just kind of live life. I don't really have much of a, of a you know, a master plan on that side. Right. Now, when I think about the meaning of life, it feels like there is no simple one size fits all answer to that question. And I think the answer really is multifaceted and it hugely depends on the context and the filter that you use to look at the question. And what I mean by that is really that the answer will be different when you approach the question from, say, a biology point of view or mm -hmm. a religious point of view, for instance. Yeah. So you mentioned it in the beginning a little bit. How did you approach your research? What disciplines did you turn to in order to find those answers? Did you, as a, you mentioned psychology, and that's something that fascinated you but did you also study religion and spirituality mm -hmm. philosophy biology what or all of the above or something else entirely yeah <laughs> how did you approach it yeah i had to learn about rna and all this other stuff <laughs> and how the how life came to be that's the first thing you got to check for meaning of life so i had to go figure out that they're trying to like debate about where the line is between what's life and non-life and where it actually occurred and then there's like the primordial soup uh uh thing there's also this ocean volcano shoal thing i that, <laughs> that was there um and uh so i did learn a lot about that but yeah i uh the, the the most of the stuff uh, is validated or uh, or supported by uh, evolutionary psychology. But obviously, to know evolutionary psychology, you need to know evolutionary biology. Um, to know psychology, well, in terms of of meaning, uh, the why of things, um, you have to understand. Um, both the evolutionary biology to do the why part, but then also the why from a motivational standpoint. Um, you have to understand philosophy. Uh, you have to understand, yeah, religions are a component of, 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 of philosophy. Um, but my, my favorite ones that really started to understand human behavior and what works is surprisingly um, behavioral economics, which you could say is an offshoot of psychology, of course, because it's kind of similar. But okay. then also business. You'd be surprised. Uh, the, the people who hacked, uh, who best hacked being me in life, uh, HR departments, <laughs> I, uh, because I, all of my, uh, that, so there are eight, uh, eight uh, drivers of meaning in life that I identified in the book. Mm -hmm. And just to list them off real fast, their growth, uh, experience, desire, uh, belief, emotions, ethics, uh, support, and choice. Those are the eight. Mm -hmm. And um, what's interesting about uh, HR is, in fact, in my uh, my company's research, what they 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 identified what they called um, oh, what they call it uh, experience based growth, um, something like that, where they identified that like it wasn't about getting the next title, it was about growing. And yeah. I'm like, of course. And then they said, how do you grow through experience? You identify the experiences. I'm like, yes, that's correct. That's exactly how life works. And then they said, well, you know, at the top of your resume, you have an objective right? That's what you want. That's your desired outcome, right? So that's your desire. And then you have your, your experience that qualifies you for the next experience in your life. And I'm like, oh my God, they've, they really, that's exactly how life works. And so um, that was a fascinating insight for me. I didn't actually realize that and make that connection uh, years later, but, um, but it's, it's, um, 
those those fields that uh, really all actually have this underlying set of common concepts that you have to address because they are the dri the drivers or what drive uh, your sense of meaning and purpose in your life. That's that's so cool that you mentioned that because I always say that entrepreneurship is kind of like the biggest self development journey you can be yeah. on because exactly for those reasons you have to be very clear about what motivates you, what drives you, how you get yourself to do the things that you want to do. So super fascinating. Can you talk a little bit more about those eight core mm -hmm. principles and why each one is so important? Sure. Um, so I'll go through all eight and then we can talk about whichever one we want in more detail. So to summarize, the meaning of life is growth. And it's, that's the meaning for three reasons. You mentioned how everyone has a different meaning. You are correct about that. But there are multiple definitions of what you mean by meaning. So I pick the ones you can scientifically prove and I put aside the ones you couldn't. The two that are primary that you can't really figure out, um, one is goal. Like everyone has a different goal and that's what you mean and you're absolutely correct. And since goals are subjective, can't cover that. So that's out. The other one is the origin of life, what caused it. And when your debate is between some sort of scientific uh, 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 happening and uh, some sort of non-physical happening, uh, then you can't scientifically prove that because by definition, if, sci if science is a study of the human, of the physical universe, uh, and you talk about things that are outside of said physical universe, you can't study, <laughs> you can't test it, you can't prove it. So that's out. Uh, and uh, I just say, hey, look, for the purposes of this argument, let's assume it's either God or, or science, you know, whichever one, you know, Big Bang or whatever. And so I said, just assume one of those two things. So that leaves three definitions you can prove scientifically. First is the definition of life. And if you, you can go look at the definition, it says that it has the capacity to grow. Literally, growth is in the definition of life. They can't define life without the word growth. And that, that is telling. Second is the purpose or intent of life. And all life exists with the purpose of growing, reproducing, replicating, um, uh, growing. So like, so it's the purpose of all life. And then the third is significance. And if you look at lifetime achievement awards, you can just test this emp uh, empirically, right? Uh, why do people win awards? Why do people give awards? Well, they give you your awards for achievement, but it's not for the achievement because they don't give the, you know, they don't print out a DVD of the movie and take it up to the stage and, hey, here you go, DVD, you, you won the award because you're awesome. Like, no, they give it to the person, right? And they give it to the person for what reason? Because they grew into the person who could, who could accomplish such a feat. So you will reward the journey of growth toward that outcome as much, if not more, than the outcome itself. The outcome is just the end result of it. And so you're, you're awarding growth and people you give statues to are people who enabled the growth of society. Like it's all about growth. So that's how that came to be. And so the other seven though, all growth occurs through experience. Mm -hmm. So that's why experience is a medium of growth. So you have to have that. Desire and belief. Uh, desire is life's driving force. So if you're hungry, that's your desire to go eat food. So it, you're, you're constantly driven forward by your desire to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you want to succeed in life or have more meaning, you need to build that desire. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but then you also need belief. And this is hugely important because belief is life's sustaining force. Because when adversity hits, you have to continue to believe that it'll be possible or it will squelch the desire and you won't do it. So you need belief. Emotions are your feedback, and it, this is where things get really cute and everything fits together. Emotions are, it's a mathematical formula that you can use. It's as good as uh, any, like two plus two equals four. Emotions are a combination of your desires, your beliefs, and your experience. Look at that. Okay. <laughs> so to, to understand your emotional state, you just need to say, well, what, what am I experiencing? What do I believe about what am I experiencing in, my, in, in the world? And what do I want? And it's a combination of those three things that'll tell you why you feel the way you feel. Um, ethics. Uh, so you, uh, there are two components to, to what you might call cooperation. You can cooperate to greater growth than if you didn't cooperate. And there are two elements of that. Basically, don't hurt people and help them if you can, right? That's the two elements. And the don't hurt people is ethics. So ethics are, are ways you can grow without hurting other people. And because otherwise that you're not going to cooperate, you won't grow as much. And then uh, support is actually helping other people or receiving help. And, you know, you're not going to build a self-driving car or build the pyramids or pick whatever huge feat by yourself alone. It would take you millions and millions and millions of years to do all that yourself. But with millions of people, you can build that stuff in an hour. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, I'll just uh, put this car together. and We got the software and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you get my point. Um, and then finally, uh, choice. 
So everything you do in life is a choice, right? Uh, you have agency. I know there's this whole argument about free will and, and determinism. I've been through that and it's just kind of exhausting and kind of circular logic. Like, you know, no, if, if this didn't happen, then that wouldn't have happened. Therefore, this caused that. And it's like, no, it didn't. <laughs> like, like at some point you have the ability to take multiple paths and you pick one. Like, I don't care what's outside your control. I say, here's a list of things that might be outside your control, fine. Okay, I'll give you that. But here's all the stuff that's inside your control, and here's what you can do. And and your choice determines your your future, your destiny, because it determines uh, what you end up doing and how you make progress, which growth opportunities you pursue, uh, and uh, ultimately you even choose to be happy and you choose to have meaning. So choice is your ultimate uh, self uh, determination uh, factor. So that's the those are the eight factors. Then a quick summary of each and how they work. I love that. And it feels like this totally reflects from uh, reflects the things that I see in my clients and in my work too, because what I do is very much at the intersection of physiology and psychology and bringing that together. And everything you just said makes total sense in, in that framework. So when you get, maybe you can come back to the meaning of emotions because emotions yeah. are something that's just so important because yeah. so many people get hung up on this idea of say chasing happiness or mm -hmm. they feel down they feel frustrated and they don't know how to get out of that so does finding meaning in life make people happy or is happiness itself what gives life meaning or how should we think about it or yeah how do you approach that Yeah, I have a huge contrarian point here, but I'm going to ask you a question first before I do it, just to get you get you closer to to what I'm about to say, so it doesn't seem so shocking. What's the point of going to school? To learn. Okay. Why didn't you say to get an A? Say again. Why didn't you say the point of uh, going to school is to get an A? Oh, because getting an A doesn't help me later in life. Learning does. Because you know in your gut. That's not the point. The point is not to get an A. The yeah. A is the indicator that you've learned, correct? Exactly. Okay. Happiness is not the point of life, objectively, scientifically, provably, logically, whatever, is not the point of life. A better description, you know, they say uh, the point of life is to be happy, and that's not true. However, some people say the point of life is to find what makes you happy. That is true. And yeah. here's the difference, because happiness is an indicator, like the A. Uh, so you're, you don't say the point of life, uh, the point of school is to get an A. You don't say the point of life is to be happy. Happiness is either an indicator or even an outcome, if you'd like. It is not a goal. It is not a goal. And that's why the mm. Eastern philosophies, they say, if you chase happiness, you will never find it because you will either do one of two things. One, you'll chase things like drugs and promiscuous sex and all these other pleasures. Pleasures are not fulfillment. Those are different things. There's a whole long thing about, but let's just go with the fact that they're different. Uh, the second thing though, is that you'll chase something and then you'll be happy for a time. And then that happiness will go away because that's how biology has to work for you to build desire for something more for growth. If one thing made you happy and you never stopped being happy, you would just stop. I've heard, you know, they lived happily ever after as in nothing else grew, nothing else changed in their entire lives because they just sit there in complete bliss. And that's absolutely insane. If the point of life is growth, you can't be happy all the time because there has to be points in life in which you are pushing forward for more. So happiness is not the point of life. Uh, it, is, it is objectively tr <laughs> true that that's not the case. Um, and so what you want to think about your emotions as is an indicator of your Uh, it's direction and velocity toward growth. So happiness, fulfillment, joy, love, all the high ones are, I, I know emotions aren't necessarily a continuum because they're all very complex, but let's just plot them on a continuum based on the deg their degree of, 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 of strength uh, of the emotion and how, they, how much they indicate growth or harm, right? So on one hand, growth, you have happiness, joy, love, and things like that. Those are indicators that you're growing and thriving. And again, we're going to stick with the fulfillment type of happiness, not the like, oh, I went and did drugs or something. <laughs> um, but then on the other extreme, you have fear 
fear, depression, hopelessness, all that other stuff, that's indicating that you're not growing. That's the complete opposite, that your fear would be you're afraid of being harmed, so you're anticipating harm. So that's the direct, I mentioned direction and velocity. Um, it has to be both, right? Because there's an idea of like, fear would be you're pointing toward, oh God, I could be hurt. So you have to get away, right? And then actual pain would be the actual getting hurt. So those are two, one's anticipation, the other one is actually having it happen. Um, hopelessness and depression is like, my life is going nowhere. I Nothing's gonna happen. I'm no, I have no direction. I have no meaning. I have no purpose. I have, uh, I have nothing to look forward to. Notice all of those ways that people describe depression uh, all have the same uh, underlying thing that I'm not growing. I'm not, there's nothing to look forward to. I have, my future will not be better than it is today. It's all growth centric or, or harm as the inverse. Uh, and, and all your emotions are indicators of what's going on. So don't expect to be happy 24 seven, although you can choose to be happy as much as possible, but that's not the point. The point is to grow, to find areas that can, you can make your life better. You can live a, a better and better life. You can make other others lives better. And the, the, the happiness will come as a result of your meaningful growth. I totally agree. I agree so much. <laughs> and I just wanted to hear from you because a lot of people confuse happiness as the meaning of life. So that's why yeah. I wanted to talk about that. But um, yeah, I see it as this, as the indicator. When, when you look at what you want to achieve in your life on one side and where you are right now on the other side, and you have this gap, to me, the emotions just indicate are you moving further away from your goal or are yeah. you moving closer to your goal or are you not moving at all? So basically what you just yeah. said, are you stuck yeah. or are you moving in which direction are you moving? Yeah. And the other thing you said about happiness, you can't be happy all the time because you get used to say, if you earned twice as much as you, as you're earning right now in the beginning, you would feel super happy and stoked, but then you get used to it. And this is this hedonic treadmill, treadmill yeah. what they call yeah. it. So whenever you reach a certain level, you get used to it. And then it's not that special anymore. And then you need that drive and the motivation to go after something else. So that's as why it's so true what you said that happiness can't be permanent. Otherwise, you would stay stuck where you are and you wouldn't yeah. grow anymore. Now, how important are core values, ethic, ideals, and principles for defining your meaning of life? Yeah, that, that's a really good question because ethics is the longest chapter of my book. It's like 80 pages. It's pretty brutal. I tried to cut it down and I said, nope, uh, I won't do it justice if I if I cut it down um, to a, a shorter length. So sorry in advance if people read it and go, man, this is brutal. Go, yeah, just you just get past it if you want and come back later. But uh, but in all seriousness, uh, ethics are really important. But I do want to be clear. Just like happiness is not the meaning of life, ethics are not the meaning of life. And I just told you a story at the beginning of this that actually pointed to that my perfect child syndrome. I followed everything that people said was the right thing to do. Did that make me happy and fulfilled and purposeful and all this other stuff? No. <laughs> and, and, and the better thing is, is that no one really cares that, I mean, I, I mean, they're glad that you're not, you're not bothering them, but like, other than the fact that you're not, it's kind of like, uh, I, I, I served IT, I, I've advised IT executives for a long time. And the running joke about IT is no one cares about IT until something goes wrong, right? <laughs> like if your phone doesn't work or your computer doesn't work, then you start calling and go, why isn't this working? You know, you start screaming, but if it works, no one's like, oh, I'm so grateful that IT is doing a great job at making sure I have my technology working. No one cares. Like, so you, they're either upset or they don't care. Like those are your two uh, states. So ethics are really just to make sure you don't hurt anybody so they don't like hurt you back or so that, you know, you can, you can get cooperation. A lot of people are trying to find meaning in ethics today. I fundamentally disagree with the idea that ethics are meaning in and of themselves. Like people will say, well, I hold this ethic, so therefore I'm a good person. And they kind of get to the line of like, I'm better than you kind of thing, or like I'm living a more enlightened life or something. <laughs> I take issue with that. Uh, I just don't think, cause that's not the point. Like just cause, oh, because I didn't, I didn't punch anyone in the face today. Well, congratulations. <laughs> like, like who cares? Like, 
that's not the point of life. It's not the point of life is not to, to, to be ethical. It's necessary, but insufficient. Right. So don't punch people in the face, but don't feel like you're better, a better human because you do or because you don't uh, don't do it. And so like ethics are necessary and it's very explicit as well as to why, because ethics, the lack of ethics take away meaning. And I'll give you one, a beautiful example that everybody loves. And this is, I'm sorry for all my American examples, but the, <laughs> here we go. Um, so what happened during the steroid era of major league baseball in the u.s what happened why well, was taking these steroids and um they were hitting the ball further and they broke the home run records with with the steroids or the hgh or whatever and so what happens now when we look back do we give credence aka do we give meaning to those records well there are two schools of thought there's that was unfair that was cheating so that's unethical therefore no, those records should not count. They should not have meaning. They should not have significance because you didn't do it ethically. Then there's the other camp, which is, well, everybody was doing it and everyone was doing it. Then therefore it was fair. Therefore it wasn't unethical. Therefore it does have significance. Therefore those people should be in the hall of fame. Notice the difference between whether those things matter or not as to whether those achievements were done ethically, necessary, but insufficient uh, for me, because you have to accomplish the goal. You had to have hit all those home runs for anyone to care. But if you don't do it ethically, then it sucks the meaning right out mm -hmm. of, the, uh, of the accomplishment. Yeah, so sure. Now, another thing that I've seen over and over again is that we're kind of in the middle of a not good enough epidemic. And what I mean by that is that a lot of people, especially those uh, driven high achievers, they often struggle with a subconscious belief that they are not good enough, that they have to work very, very hard to prove their worth. So looking at this from the outside, it seems like the meaning of life to them is proving their worth by becoming rich and famous and powerful. And they chase these external markers of success and validation from others, hoping that once they've achieved the next big goal on their to-do list, they will finally be happy or live a meaningful life. And while they often reach that outer success that they seek, they simultaneously feel anxious and empty and unfulfilled inside. And from the outside, it looks like they have it all, yet they are super unhappy and feel like something is missing. And they are trapped in this vicious cycle of anxiety and hard work and achievement, and nothing they do or achieve is ever good enough to make them feel worthy. They feel like this Sisyphus who just had to roll up this heavy boulder up and hill only for it to roll down again every time they get near the top. Now, do you think that this is contributing to this crisis of purpose today or what else is going on there? Oh, man, that is such a big question. I could spend an hour talking about that and answering that and dissecting it. I'll try to be as brief as I can. But man, that's a that's a big one. Um, so there are a bunch of, of things to unpack there. First of all, you hit something very personal B, because as I mentioned, when I was a kid, you, you're you get the abandonment issues, you feel worthless. And so you spend the, your entire life trying to prove your own worth um, through action instead of uh, feeling like you're good enough. So I totally I totally get that. Uh, but let's unpack a few different things there. Let's start with number one. So you're pushing hard and not finding meaning. Doesn't that prove that growth isn't necessarily meaningful? Well, there are three reasons why that could be the case. First of all, effort isn't the only part of growth. I use the analogy of if you go to the gym to lift weights, um, you don't actually grow by lifting the weights. You actually break down your muscles by lifting the weights. It's when you go home and eat and sleep that you grow. So if you're pushing yourself to burnout, that's not growth. That's burnout. That's effort and exertion. So that's number one, why that's the case, why you might have this issue. Second one is you might be living what someone else's definition of success is. We already talked about that. But like I lived what I thought I wanted. Oh, this is the definition of success. And hey, I don't feel fulfilled yet. What's going on? Oh, because I was following other people's definitions. So if you're trying to look good to other people or get social status or that other crap, uh, that is uh, 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 why you're, you're not feeling fulfilled from the growth. It has to be meaningful to you. <laughs> and if not, then you should stop doing it and try to find something that is. Um, so that's another one. Uh, but then, uh, 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 the, the, the third thing I, I'd argue is that, you, well, actually, hold on. You mentioned the crisis of, of meaning. I should, I should mention that there are actually two, um, 
two uh, aspects to crisis meaning. Uh, one is the fact that, uh, uh, I don't know how to put this, but we live in a better life than ever before and people are more miserable than ever before. Uh, and there are two reasons for that. One is that people are becoming more fragile, right? Uh, that, that even having their, themselves emotionally, uh, you know, hurt by someone offending them or something is now, you know, the end of their lives or whatever. And, and that's, that's a little bit of a problem. Um, we do have to make people more resilient and more, uh, uh, more, uh, I don't want to say tough, but like need to make them more resilient and responsive and, 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 and okay with things that, um, that like hurt their feelings and you should be able to manage them uh, more effectively than that. But, but because people live, um, such, uh, uh, relatively better lives than people thousands of years ago, uh, people get comfortable. Uh, and then they're kind of told you don't have to do anything. You just kind of like everything's handed to you. So you don't really feel the reward of earning something or making something or building something or creating something or helping someone else. You live a kind of a selfish, uh, complacent life. And that's why a lot of people aren't finding meaning in that regard. But you're not talking about that side, but that is a, one of the crises of meaning happening yeah. right now is that, uh, that live where people are like going to college and kind of just floating around and wonder why they don't feel meaning. It's like, well, you're not really driving for things. You're just kind of like, I'm just going to go drink and, and have fun. It's like, okay, well, that's going to get old soon. Uh, but you're talking about the other side, uh, which is no, the not enough that no matter what I do, that kind of crisis of meaning. And that there, there is interesting, an interesting thing. That's why I kind of uh, tangentially moved to this because when I was talking about the, the reasons why you might not um, uh, feel meaning through, through the growth that, that you're attaining, um, the one about... Um, uh, uh, like whatever you do, it's not enough. That's a little bit of kind of um, the beliefs that you hold internally, and that's causing your emotions. Um, you have to believe that life is meaningful for there to be meaning in your life. If you don't believe it, then it won't. And so if you believe that you are worthless, then nothing that you can do will ever change that until you change the belief. And so that is why, that's why there are eight components and not just the one, because all these other ones come into play and the belief is really a big deal. So if you have some sort of hidden beliefs that you're not good enough, um, that's what you got to change. And then once you do, um, you'll realize that you don't have to do all this stuff that, um, that you're doing to feel worthy. You choose the choice, number eight, uh, you choose to do the things you do because you are making the world a better place for yourself or your people you care about, whatever. Uh, and that is rewarding to you. And when you do it for that reason, when you change that belief, you're going to start to see uh, the um, uh, reward and the meaning and the fulfillment that you, that you get from those things. Um, I'll pause there because there's a ton there, but uh, hopefully that starts to dissect that. Yes, absolutely. Because that's what I find with my clients as well, that often those hidden beliefs are the thing that makes all the difference once we just shift this internal belief and I get them to not just um, understand this from a conscious point of view, but to actually feel it in their bodies that they are worthy, that changes everything. And all of a sudden they don't feel trapped anymore. They see all the opportunities and choices out there and they can choose a different path if they are on one that they don't enjoy. So that's why I think that this is so important. Yeah, and that's the third one I did. I forgot, but I actually forgot what I was trying to say, so I stopped. But uh, but you, you just said it. Uh, the third reason why you might be be uh, growing and not feeling meaning is because maybe it's not meaningful to you anymore. Uh, a lot of people um, mess that up in the sense that they feel like once you find life's purpose, that's it. And that's one of the biggest fallacies with meaning in life. That's why I said I don't cover the goal in life because of two reasons. One, everyone's goal is unique to them, and then secondly. Uh, the, uh, once you achieve a goal, you'll have another one. So like, you know, <laughs> so it's like, this is kind of silly, um, but you make the, uh, that you could be doing the thing. And I, and I use the analogy of like Pete Manning, one of the greatest uh, football players of all time, uh, uh, retired. And, uh, what did he, did he just go, okay, go, time to die now. Cause I, I achieved my goal of being one of the greatest football players ever. So I'm going to go crawl on a hole. No, now he's a pitch man. Now he's a businessman. Now he's on ESPN giving commentary on football, helping people love and understand the game more. So like he found new reasons to exist after his his body said well you know you can't can't play football at that high level anymore so like there's always going to be uh, something new so maybe you just uh maybe just you're done maybe you're done you know i played uh, i played viola in uh for nine years and i was ever that good to be honest with you um and uh so i you know i, I stopped i just uh, you know i i liked it but like 
uh, do I want to spend my time there? Want to want to spend it somewhere else? It's like, well, I decide to spend it somewhere else. So like your your life will continue to change and evolve, and you want to keep moving in the direction of what's meaningful to you. And you have to be willing to let go of things that maybe you have found meaning in before, and maybe now you don't. Uh, that's just how life works. Um, it's actually uh, a lot of people hate impermanence because they think of loss. Mm -hmm. But if you think about, I always tell people to turn that on its head. Think of impermanence as a, as a great thing because if 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 there was such thing as permanence and permanence, then nothing could get better. <laughs> like everything would be permanent. And so people look at impermanence and go, oh man, I wish things were permanent. It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. If you if things were permanent, your life would be exactly the way it was 30 years ago. And it's like, you might not like that. Um, so enjoy and appreciate the, the impermanence because things are getting better. And yes, part of things, the world life changing, getting better is yes, some things got to go away and it's better to appreciate what was uh, instead of uh, mourning its, its loss. Yeah. So true. Now, last but not least, where can our listeners find you online if they want to connect with you? Uh, sure. So uh, social media is at Life the Book, um, or sometimes it's at The Meaning of Life book. Um, then uh, my site is yourmeaninginlife.com. Uh, I have a blog on there. Um, it's like second or third to Mark Manson, uh, <laughs> uh, who's number one in space. Uh, I have a book, uh, The Meaning of Life, A Guide to Finding Your Life's Purpose. If you want to learn a bit more about those eight concepts, they're in there. Um, I joke that it's an evolutionary psychology book disguised as a fluffy self-help book. So if you're looking for inspirational stories, it's, it's not in there. I just want to set your expectations. It's an evolutionary psychology book. There is some inspiration in there because it does help you live a more meaningful life. Uh, but I wasn't trying to tell pretty stories or parables or anything like that. Uh, and then I also just came out with the book, uh, as we said earlier, called The X Factor, um, and that's out. And it's a multi-author book, uh, bestseller. And um, uh, you can find that on Amazon as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nate, for sharing all those tips, those stories, and those insights. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Take care and talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Wired for Success podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you did, please take a sec to rate and review my show. It would mean the world to me because you'd help me reach more entrepreneurs like yourself who would love this show. If you'd like to learn more about creating a widely successful business without sacrificing your health, relationships or sanity, make sure to stick around and subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And why don't you help me spread the word and share this show with your friends? I'd really appreciate it and I'm sure your friends will too. Want to continue this conversation, build real relationships and join a community of like-minded entrepreneurs? Come join my free Facebook community for visionary entrepreneurs. I would love to see you there. In the meantime, if you haven't done so already, grab my free brain priming audio file for entrepreneurs and start priming your brain for success in less than five minutes each morning. Curious? You can learn more about how this works and download the audio file at www.wiredforsuccess.solutions. Until next time. Bye.